Wow, what a great uh, morning. You know, sense of God's presence in here as, uh, as I heard you sing. You know, just think this time last year, I don't think we were even allowed to sing something ridiculous. It's so nice to sing. In fact, I've been singing and I've lost my voice already, which is not good. But there's something, something happens when we worship. I don't just mean singing songs. I mean when we, we have our whole life before God as an act of worship, whether it's singing or finances or our time or whatever we give to God as an act of worship is a transaction. You see, something happens when we give of ourselves to God. Amazing things happen. Heaven comes to earth and we find ourselves in heaven. It's just amazing. Anyway, that's not what I'm preaching about. Let me pray. Jesus, I thank you. I thank you for your word. I thank you for the book of Philippians. I thank you for the example of Paul. As we come around your word this morning, thank you that your word is powerful, it's mighty. It cuts and divides and, and judges our thoughts and intentions and, and it sets us free. So this morning as we, as we preach your word, open our ears and our spirit to hear what you're saying to us. And I thank you for this time together. Amen. Well, this is week three of an eight-week crawl through Philippians. Philippians is a short chapter. It's four chapters, so you can read it in, you know, ten minutes. But there's so much depth in here that we thought, let's take, let's take our time and wade through it verse by verse and, and see what this incredible book is saying. Of course, written by Paul the Apostle, the great church planter, uh, to a church that he founded in Philippians. You can read the story in Acts 16. Uh, it's, it's Macedonia, modern-day Macedonia. And you, you can see Paul's heart as he writes back to the church that he founded from a prison cell in Rome. And he's writing back, encouraging them, exhorting them. But one of the major, major themes in here is actually unity and being together. There's, there's a number of references. There's obviously something going on in a church where some people aren't together on the same page. And, and there's, a, there's a call for people to just simply get on with each other. Now, what, would, what message would that be for today? I mean, have you been to a restaurant lately? And you've seen the signs at the counter? It says, Please be nice to our staff. Please be courteous and patient. We're understaffed and all that. You know. Or have you been traveling somewhere and you've seen the signs? You've been to a shop and you've seen the, you know, the standard sign? Since COVID somehow we've all got really grumpy or short with each other or impatient. I know that Ro went to a restaurant not so long ago and, and the, the waiter was just frantic. Like he said, I can't. You're being nice to me. Why are you being nice to me? Because everybody else is so grumpy. If ever there was a call for this kind of message, it's today. Somehow we've lost the art of connecting. That's just our broader society. Of being civil. Of being polite. Of just basic human courtesy. Why else would we need to write those signs? <laughs> the problem is... It's just an external thing, isn't it? You know, while you're here in this restaurant, at least smile. <laughs> when you go home, it's all right. You know, there's a way, way deal. I tell you, this morning you were going to discover something way deeper than just a little encouragement. You know, just just be nice to people. Like we've we've got that in our world. It doesn't really work. 
because there's no power in it. Because if you're like me, I read those signs and I go, that's a ridiculous sign. Like, why does our society need those signs? This morning, what, what we see in Paul's writing is the power to overcome and to be actually really, really engaged and on the same page with people. Let's, let's dive in. Now, I'm going to read this passage from the message version and then I'm going to unpack it from the NIV. Is that okay? Here we go, because this is fun. Philippians 2 verse 1, just listen to this. If you've gotten anything at all out of following Christ, if His love has made any difference in your life, if you have a heart, if you care, then do me a favour. Agree with each other. Love each other. Be deep-spirited friends. Don't push your way to the front. Don't sweet-talk your way to the top. Put yourself aside and help others get ahead. Don't be obsessed with getting your own advantage. Forget yourselves long enough to lend a helping hand. Think of yourselves the way that Christ Jesus thought of himself. He had equal status with God, but didn't think of much of himself that he had to cling to the advantages of that status, no matter what, not at all. When the time came, he set aside the privileges of deity and took on the status of a slave, became human. Having become human, he stayed human. It was an incredibly humbling process. He didn't claim special privileges. Instead, he lived a selfless, obedient life and then died a selfless, obedient death. And, and the worst kind of death at that, a crucifixion. Because of that obedience, God lifted him high and honoured him far beyond anyone or anything so that all created beings in heaven and on earth, even those long ago dead and buried, will bow and worship before this Jesus Christ and will call out in praise that he is the master of all to the glorious honour of God the Father. Did you catch it? The secret of getting on with people, the secret of having a sweet marriage, a sweet family life, a sweet workplace, a sweet neighbourhood connection. Did you see it? I tell you, this is going to change your relational world if the things that Paul is exhorting us to is put in place in our world. It will make a difference. So let's drill down and work out what's going on. And we see the example of Christ who, jumping to the New International Version, being in the very nature God, did not consider equality with God something to be used to his own advantage. Now, I want you to catch this. God, Jesus, being in very nature God, we, we hold Christian faith holds that Jesus is God, always was God, of one substance with the Father, Father, Son, Holy Spirit, core Christian doctrine, forever. Not, not just when he lands on earth, forever, for all of eternity, past, future, okay? Jesus says here, he's in the very nature God. So he is God. He created all things. Jesus did. Colossians 1. 
But he did not consider equality with God something to be used to his own advantage. Do you see that? In, in absolute level unity with God, yet he didn't consider that as something where he could prop himself up. Rather, he made himself nothing by taking the very nature of a servant being made in human likeness. This, I tell you, this is the core of the Christian message. That God, Jesus, made himself nothing, of no account. Still God. There's an error sometimes in some Christian churches where when Jesus leaves heaven and enters earth as a baby, he loses his divinity and doesn't get it back till the Holy Spirit comes on him. No, he, he was always God. He's always God. God as a baby, God as a fetus. Oh, how does that mess? God as an embryo. Always God. But he made himself nothing of no account by becoming human. Is, is there a more humbling thing than for a God to be found in human form? Is there a thing more helpless than a human baby? Thank you. Cute. There's a few little babies in here. Cute, beautiful, helpless. I was talking with someone during the week about this. Just, there's such a mystery. You know, a dog or a horse, like within, a, I don't know, half an hour, 10 minutes, a horse is up and running, right? <laughs> How long does it take a human baby to become functional? Yeah. I've got some good amens in the back. <laughs> Preaching to the kids this morning. It's ridiculous, isn't it? What was God thinking? And how much work is that? <laughs> how hard is it to raise kids? But, <laughs> but Jesus did. He willingly chose to become completely dependent on his mother and his stepdad and his brothers. You see, it's just, it blows my mind. It's the humility or the condescension of Christ to enter humanity, still being God, substance God, but in the appearance of a baby and a servant. Not, not just a human, but a human servant, it says here. Doulos, slave, sometimes some scriptures rendered. Slave, God, God becomes a slave to the people who created what, what sort of lunacy is this? Would you create a whole bunch of people and then become their slave? Can you see the, the love and the condescension of Jesus to become human and then to serve? And we see throughout his life, a life of service, a life of sacrifice, a life of being a slave to the people that he loves. Even, it says, it goes on. In family appearances, man, he humbled himself by becoming obedient to death. Even death on a cross. Like as if, as if being a human wasn't enough, as if being a human slave wasn't enough, as if being killed for it wasn't enough. He's killed in the most inhumane, cruel way, a cross. What, what, sort of, what sort of God does this, by the way? Think of the just quick scan of the gods of this world. Most of them self-serving. Most of them up here. What, what, can, you, can you name me a God? Another God. 
Even the secular humanists can't get this one. You see, we, we, there's, there is nothing that compares to the gospel of Christ. No, no other God has done this. No other God cared enough about the people he made to, to enter into human flesh and skin and become like them, even to the most extreme death ever possible, for the sake of his people, for the sake of the love he has. The result? In verse 9, Therefore, God exalted him to the highest place and gave him the name that is above every name. Jesus, the name above every name. Jesus, the ruler and authority of the universe, period, right now, ruling in heaven. There, there, is, there is no other name. There is no other power more powerful. There is no other Lord more victorious than Jesus. That at the name of Jesus, every knee should bow in heaven and on earth and under the earth. And every tongue acknowledge that Jesus Christ is Lord to the glory of God the Father. It says every knee, every person alive will get to the point of acknowledging Jesus as God. Let's do it before we meet him. Because you will bow. When we die and you appear before the Lord, I tell you, you bow, whether you used to believe in him or not. The reality of the power of God will humble every single person. The Christian has already done his bowing on earth, surrendered his life, her life, and, and become full of him. So that when we meet him, we bow, but we know that he loves us and he's raised us to be with him. That's a different description story altogether, but we will be seated with him in power, the right hand of God. That same Jesus that came in human form is now in heaven in victory to the glory of God the Father. He's overcome every opponent to life. He's overcome every adversary. He's overcome everything that was ever against him. Whereas Jesus was subject to the world he created, now it is subject to him. And in the process, he's defeated every evil. Every evil. From Satan himself to every demonic spirit under his feet. The battle's won, people. There's a few little skirmishes of war occasionally. You know. But the battles, it's a, it's a done deal. Like the victory papers have been signed. I've just got a bit of mopping up to do. The battle was won on the cross of Christ. But what's that got to do with you and me and how we treat each other? Well, it's got everything to do with it. Because, because, because Paul says, in your relationships, I'm going, I'm going back, okay? I'm going back to verse 5. Because, because I wanted to paint the picture of Jesus and his victory. But I want to go back. It says, in your relationship with each other, have the same mindset as Christ Jesus. You see? So if we understand the mindset of Jesus, that he would be completely humble and die for people, Paul says, right, that's the mindset that you and I need in relationships. That's the example. That's the model. That's how you do it. So therefore, 
Check your motivation. Here's, here's three things that I see here. If you're taking notes, it'll, it'll help you. Number one, check your motivation. Why am I doing something? Because Paul says here, he says, do nothing out of selfish ambition or vain conceit. Because that's, that's what Jesus modeled for us. So the motivation, do nothing out of selfish ambition or vain conceit. Let me look at those two words. Selfish ambition, the root word actually means political trickery. So it's like if I want to get elected to an office back in the ancient times and i got to do some tricks, maybe we call it pork barreling, pork barreling today. It's, it's that kind of get me into power somehow and I'll, and I'll do whatever I can to get you. I'll manipulate you or I'll, I'll do this. It's, it's that sort of idea of selfish ambition. I so want power that I'll do anything I can to get to the top. Have you met people like that? Perhaps in the workplace. I so want to be in charge that I'll use any means possible to manipulate my way to the top. That's what Paul's talking about. Clearly, that's not what Christ did. He did the reverse. And then vain conceit is vainglory or groundless self-esteem or empty pride. If you've been around me long enough, you'll know that I I dislike the idea of self-esteem because last time I looked in here, there wasn't really a lot that I should be really happy about. Stay with me. We tell kids to believe in yourself. Most kids go, really? You want me to believe in this? There's a better way. It's called God esteem, that God loves you completely. 100%. God put his spirit in you. God made you in his image. Therefore, I am of worth and value because of him in me. I'm not trying to prop up something that's a little bit bent, right? It's a whole nother deal. But I I think the whole self-esteem movement has, has flaws because humanity has flaws. And you're expecting me to really trust and believe in something that's a little bit bent and shifted, you know? So he says here, don't, don't do things out of Vain conceit. Don't do things out of selfish ambition. You will find that when you, when you work in that spirit, you, it goes sour pretty quick. So check your motivation. Why am I doing this? And then reposition yourself is the second one. In other words, who is most important in this relationship? This is challenging. Because Paul says, rather in humility, value others above yourselves. Did you get that? In humility, value others uh, as better than yourselves or above yourselves. It doesn't mean that you're not important. But here's how it works. If I get my self-worth from God, I don't need to look to other people to get that. I am content. I'm not using relationships to prop me up. I already have that. I was in prayer this morning. I came to church. I knew Jesus. I know that he's, he loves me. I know that he's with me. I know he's for me. So therefore, I am secure, not just in myself, but I'm secure in who God says that I am. Therefore, I I don't need 
somebody else to tell me I'm great. Because honestly, a lot of relationships are like that, aren't they? I need you to help me. I need you to feed my esteem. I need you to... And so you see that the worst kind of relationships is where people are kind of tussling for that value from each other, from this level. We were never designed to do that. If we get it from Christ, our worth and our value, then whether we get it this way or not, it's not the end of the world. I am now free to love, to give, to serve, to, to lift up the other person. Does it matter if the other person is elevated more than me? Actually, that'd be great. Wouldn't it be awesome if people go further than I do? If my kids get better than I do? If they're more good looking than I am? Not hard. <laughs> Reposition yourself and make it practical. There's a third one. Check your motivation. Reposition yourself. Make it practical. We can talk about it, can't we? <laughs> he says, not looking to your own interests, but each of you to the interests of others. Start with the family, those closest to you. What does it look like in the, in the tussle in a marriage or a key relationship? What does it look like? Father, son, mother, daughter, Kid, grandkid, you know, whatever context you're living in, housemate. That's fun. I've been there. What would it look like if in my family I put myself, my own needs last and elevated the needs of the others? What would it look like if I was the first to, to, to serve someone else? That's leadership, by the way. Each of you looking to not just your own interests, but the interests of others. What would it look like in the workplace? You know that situation, that person's difficult. You don't want to do anything for that person. But, but you know what? If you just brought them a coffee that morning, hey, you brought your coffee. Went above and beyond. I, I bet you could crack it. In every, in every context that I have in my work and my work outside of church, I make it my mission to make sure that I'm on the same page with everybody. That there's nobody that I can't relate to. There's no one that, I, that is too small or big or arrogant or whatever. I, I work really hard to crack people so that I can have a, a level relationship with someone. But here's the best thing, because what you could do is you could take that advice and go, okay, all right, I'll do that. Right, this week, check my motivation. Oh, I'm going to reposition myself, and I'm going to make it practical. I'm going, to, I'm going to wash up after every meal. You probably get to Tuesday and get sick of it. If you're anything like me, you know there's resolutions. Sorry, yeah, I'm, I'm, I'm the man. I'm going to, uh, I'm going to fill up the petrol in the car before my wife realizes it's running out of fuel. <laughs> because she never fills the fuel up. Is the power that you need. Human effort and will will fall short, <laughs> guaranteed. But here's something else. The triumph of humility. Verse 9 says, Therefore God exalted him, Jesus, to the highest place 
gave him the name that is above every name, that at the name of Jesus every knee should bow in heaven, on earth, and under the earth, and every tongue acknowledge that Jesus Christ is Lord to the glory of God the Father. Therefore, because he is raised, we have victory if we come under his authority. All right? The same, stay with me. The same power that rose Jesus from the dead lives in me. Okay? Because Jesus is victorious, I can walk in his victory. Because he is elevated and seated above every name, I can tap into the same power that he did if, I am, if I'm in him. So much richer. So I have the resources of heaven inside of me. I have the Holy Spirit living inside of me. I'm, I'm not just dependent on my own will. And there's some really willful, smart people out there who don't know Jesus who are way kinder and way better than I am in life. Right? You've probably met those people. This, man, this person's just such a lovely person. You know, they don't even need Jesus. But I need Jesus because I know what's in him. But I've got, I got something else that that person doesn't have. I have the power of heaven because Jesus has conquered death and evil. I can use that same power to love my family, to love my workplace, to be kind to the waiter at the restaurant. Not because of some self-help, but because I've, no, 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 because the power of Jesus is in me and actually wants to flow out. The same spirit of Jesus is in me and the same servanthood and love for people then starts flowing out. You, you need Christ. This is the gospel. We can't do it on our own. We lay down our life. We pick up the power of Christ and he helps us in everyday life. So, so don't try this alone. Don't just make resolutions. Come to a point of repentance saying, Jesus, I'm sorry, I've tried this, but I can't. That's the good space. That's where you start. Because in that space, you recognize your own human limitations and you go, well, I can't, but you can. So come, Lord Jesus, come into my life to help me to bless my world because I really want that. This is exciting. This is going to make all the difference in your life. It's the gospel. And so Paul writing to the Philippian church is basically saying, agree with each other. Get on with each other. Don't, don't let bitterness simmer at all. Don't let any unforgiveness come. Just, just nip it in the bud. Do you know why I love the church? Because every single one of us here is different. Every single one of us has the potential to, well, annoy somebody else. Why does God put people together? Why do marriages happen? I mean, it'd be so much easier if I lived alone. <laughs> Did I just say that? <laughs> Metaphorically speaking. I mean, no one would tell me what to do. No one would. <laughs> Theoretically speaking. <laughs> I mean, it's real easy. I don't need to forgive anybody. I just do what I want to do. I'm trying to make this sound good. We have a great relationship. Hey. But there's something happens in the rub of opinion, of personality, 
will just do you know why God puts us together so we can learn to forgive each other which is way more powerful than never having to forgive that person if we're just perfect all the time there's no need for love God's smart he's sort of this I'm going to help people love so I'm going to put them together <laughs> marriage is supposed to be fun Tesh, Zach, it's good. It's a trick, I tell you. It's a trick. It's God's trick to knock the edges off us because we walk through forgiveness. So if I offend, don't stay offended. Ask for forgiveness. Move on. And in that asking forgiveness, we become much better people than if I'd never had to ask for forgiveness in the first place. No, move on. There is so much right there. So much right there. I asked the musos to come up. Um, we've got about five minutes. I want to make this really, really practical in your life this morning. Because all of us, all of us have a context. All of us have people in our world. And if you don't have people in your world, find some people. Church is a good place to start. Having a new attitude that Christ gives us is about employing his power to help us change in the middle of that. So if you want to become more like Christ, this is how it works. If you want to become more holy, here's how it works. If you want to serve the people and bless the people in your world, this is how it works. With the same mindset of Christ. Don't do anything out of selfish ambition or vain conceit, but in humility, consider others as better than yourselves. There it is. Do nothing out of selfish ambition or vain conceit, but in humility, consider others as better or more important than yourself. doesn't mean you're not important. Get your importance from Jesus. It's way more significant than anyone on this world can give you. But, but having that importance, don't use it to lord it over people. Use it to serve people. Use it to build people. Use it to, to build bridges, to bless people, to, to engage with people. Don't have enemies. I want you to think right now, maybe just close your eyes for a moment. We've all got people like that in our world. Who is it that really bugs you right now? Don't, don't say it out loud. That might be next to you. Who is it that's just grating on you? Who's really difficult to get on with? Who's making life difficult for you? Kids, it could be people at school, just that person, a bit of a bully, and, or just manipulative. Maybe it's in the workplace. Kids have never really grown up. Just little power plays. Just silly things, but it makes life hard. Maybe it's in your marriage and it's just difficult right now. I want my thing and she wants her thing and can't quite meet together. Maybe it's with one of your kids or kids. Maybe it's with one of your parents. Maybe it's with your, your aged parents. Just difficult. Maybe it's your 
brothers and sisters who live away and you don't even speak anymore because somebody said something years ago and now there's a division. Come on, make the first move. This week, this week, love the Scripture in 1 Corinthians 7. It says, as much as depends on you, live at peace with all people. You can't, you can't change people, but, but you, can, you can serve people and bless people. And I bet over the time, that will change. That will shift people. Right now, think and ask Jesus, how could I really bless this person? How could I bless them? What's something practical that I could do to elevate them? Your enemy, Jesus says, love your enemies. What practical thing could I do to bless them? They might not even know it's you. You've got to be smart about this. But here's the thing. It has to cost something. It's like fasting. It's like giving. It's just, if it doesn't cost us, there's no gain. It costs Jesus immensely to do this. It'll cost you. Ask Right now, what can you do? What can you do to bless somebody this week and put into place Philippians 2 as a practice? And then it becomes a lifelong practice. And then every now and then you have to remind yourself and you read it again. And you, but right now, I want to pray for you. Got that person in mind? Jesus, right now, I'm praying for every situation, whether it's a, a neighbor, a work member, a kid at school, uh, our own marriage partners, a kid, our own parents, brothers, sisters, wider family, neighbor who annoys us. Lord, I'm praying, show us something practical that we would do to elevate that person and put into place our own humility. Jesus, come. Give us the power that we need to do this by your Holy Spirit because you have been raised from the dead by doing this.